there are no invalids in the USSR. These words were spoken in 1980 by a Soviet official in response to a question about hosting the Paralympic Games in conjunction with the Moscow Olympics. The country refused, and the Paralympics were instead held in the Netherlands. The Soviet Union pretended to be unfamiliar with disability. Within the state, persons with physical and mental disabilities were stigmatized, hidden from the public, and thus made seemingly invisible. Although health care and social care were strictly separate in theory, in practice many chronically ill people were looked after in social care homes, while many socially disadvantaged groups were kept in hospitals for prolonged periods of time. Physical and mental disability was considered a taboo subject, and most disabled people were taken into institutional care, even when they could have lived in the community with modest assistance. The Estonian Republic inherited this system of social care based on institutional provision. Plagued by the brazen denial of disability of the Soviet government, Estonia had to not only redefine its inclusivity policies, but also fight against social prejudice, created by a lack of visibility of people with disability. After the restoration of independence, the health system was restructured and a new concept of social services has been developed. Its intention was to reduce and restructure institutional care and develop a system of open or community care. People with both visible and invisible disabilities form a significant part of Estonian society. As of December 2021, people living with officially recognized disabilities make up for nearly 11% of the population. Today, we'll talk about how their lives are changing. Hello, my name is Terry McDonald, and this is the Town University Podcast. <laughs> All societies face issues with dealing with disability and disability inclusion, and of course Estonia is no exception. As recently as 2018, the World Health Organization conducted an assessment of 75 long-term care institutions across 25 countries, including Estonia, and found them to be far below the standard, quote. According to the report, the rights of people staying in these facilities were often violated. For example, staff did not inform users of why they were being given particular treatments, and even physically restrain them to administer medication. As a person with a disability myself, this episode is very important to me, uh, and I'd like to say so. In this episode, I'll be joined by Melis Jost, the chairman of the Estonian Chamber of Disabled People, and Paul Marcus Orav, a master's student of Tallinn University here in our Open Society Technologies program. We're going to discuss the evolution of rights of persons with disabilities over the years here in Estonia and the current state of disability accommodation, including here at Town University. I hope you enjoy these conversations. We'll come back at the end to say goodbye. Hi, and we're here with Melis Joost. Melis is the chair of the Estonian Chamber of People with Disabilities. Thanks for joining us, Melis. Thank you for the invitation. So for a little context, maybe you can tell us how has the understanding of disability evolved historically in Estonia? Yes, uh, uh, it's a good question. Uh, the, start, uh, the changes started in the mid-80s, 1980s, and um, it started uh, with a lot of uh, help and influence from the neighboring countries in the Nordic 
Finland, of course, but uh, also uh, the Scandinavian countries. As until that time, it was normal that if a child with disability was born, the hospitals suggested that you should give the child away. So this change happened. Uh, and of course, uh, then Estonia became independent again in 1991. The process was already going on to establish organizations uh, for people with disabilities. So um, more openness, more visibility, and uh, it became a topic uh, for the public discussion, which was not the case until that time. Now, when you say uh, we're encouraged to give the child away, can you elaborate on that? Well, uh, it was considered that if uh, during the Soviet time that if uh, uh, a severely disabled kid was born, that the family should not keep uh, the child and should give it away to to a facility like an institution. But uh, this started to change, and of course also uh, dismantling and. Uh, getting rid of the big institutions all also started slowly already um, in the very early 1990s with uh, some projects bringing people out from the big institutions because that, until that time it was normal that if you had a, even uh, only maybe a, a mobility impairment or um, disability what caused uh, for instance, cerebral palsy that was not so common to, to have uh, the person growing up in a family, but was suggested that there are institutions for that. Okay. How does this uh, timeline compare to trends globally? Can you repeat it? How does this compare to global trends uh, when it comes to treatment of uh, people with disabilities? I have understood uh, uh, by now that the global trends are really rather similar to what we experience because the civil society um, in the field of disability became stronger during the same time when we were getting rid of the Soviet and started developing a, a new society. So actually, uh, uh, many organizations also in other countries, uh, even if they were not under the Soviet rule, have a similar historical background. Rather, some, of course, are older, but uh, a big majority of the civil society organizations are not older than something like 30, 35 years old. So I, I think that this... Uh, um, process of uh, having people with disabilities in the focus was about start, to start um, in 1981 was the year of uh, United Nations thematic year of people with disabilities, which was backed up by a sort of decade for people with disabilities until 1992. And in 1992, it was also uh, established uh, that 
a day during a year should be celebrated for people with disabilities and that was the 3rd of December. So it's now 20, 30 years ago, it started the uh, celebration of the year, a day of people with disabilities by the United Nations. Okay, so why is it important to increase the visibility of people with disabilities? Well, it's a human right issue that um, everybody should be able to live their life, lives independently and uh, the society should help them to execute those rights. And uh, of course, uh, that is a process and it is also very expensive to, to do it all. But uh, if you start somewhere, uh, the costs are decreasing along the line when you are going. So more accessibility is, is lowering the costs of um, the everyday life uh, of everybody, basically. Um, you mentioned that in the Soviet model, basically people with disabilities were hidden. What do you think were the societal consequences of this sort of policy? Well, that's a, also a quite interesting question. I mean, uh, if you are hiding something, uh, it eventually will come out. So uh, I think that uh, open uh, policy is, uh, is um, making the society stronger because during the Soviet time, you hide everything, basically. So eventually it was so much tension that it was just exploding. So I think that uh, this is a normal policy that you don't hide. So you are open about things and, and uh, certainly um, the diversity that there are so many different people in the society is making the society stronger. That's my, my understanding of it. Okay. So what types of support are available for people with disabilities in Estonia today? Well, mostly what is good is that uh, there are a lot of different services. Um, like if you are comparing with um, other societies, which are developing maybe. Okay. Um, one absolutely crucial thing is that you have the uh, basics, that you have the uh, healthcare, that if you need uh, treatment, you are um, getting that treatment. There are, of course, issues there as well, but uh, in broad terms, uh, that is really, really uh, important. And then there is a wide, wide variety of uh, services, what the local authorities or municipal level is offering, uh, but also the, the state level. What could be said is that the level of direct support is not that high that you can uh, cope without making other efforts. Also, where the um, in the field of uh, technical aids, mm -hmm. like uh, you need um, a wheelchair or you need other equipment. Okay, there is a. 10% um, own 
contribution that at times can be really a hindrance for people to get those technical aids because 10% of a very expensive wheelchair is really a high amount of money what individual has to come up with. So what, what, what I see is that we have a basic uh, uh, support, always could be better, and always we are worried about that the place of residence is so much saying what kind of help you are getting, that this level of support of services should be much more equal from one municipality to the other what mm. it is today okay um what is an invisible disability and what are the approaches and support strategies required for those well that uh, invisible disabilities well a lot of um, chronic disease patients might might suffer from different uh, genetic disorders and so on, which you cannot see, but what can make life very expensive indeed, like if there are some dietary requirements, often that is also not as a medicine, it's not giving uh, the society is not able to cover that uh, uh, by its uh, insurance schemes. So that is, also something um, what is important but but our organizations in the in the network of disability organizations they are doing really a good work each of them to inform the society about those difficulties for instance we have the um soliaki found um, organization who is uh, dealing with diet uh, issues where the um, the diet is much more expensive than what you normally could eat and also uh, you cannot go out eating because the restaurants mm. don't know really uh, what they put on their plates mm. um and um perhaps uh, you could speak a bit about uh guidelines for neurodivergent students or um, requirements like this Well, uh, the, um, like I think this is all uh, more linked to the accessibility. And of course, the legislative side is developing all the time. So uh, as Estonia is today a member of European Union. So there is a lot of legislation coming from EU uh, and is implemented here. But at the same time, we also uh, ratified the UN Convention for the Rights of People with Disabilities in 2000. For uh, 12, I think it was 2012. So Estonia has already filed first uh, report for UN. That was um, 2020. And um, in in that package of legislation, you have certain requirements for students and for education. Higher education and vocational training is covered there, along, along with uh, rights in the labor market. So that is, uh, there is this uh, non-discrimination uh, clauses 
in that in that um, fields. But uh, of course, in the everyday work, <clears throat> always where can be problems. That uh, also understanding of how do you ass assist a student with a disability uh, is can be tricky because you have different uh, groups. You have the people mm. who cannot hear the visually impaired, uh, maybe mobility or motorics issues. So, um, for instance, uh, recently I have been uh, participating in in uh, trainings organized in the Miro Miro uh, environment. Okay, and that is, for instance, not possible to use for uh, visually impaired. So, um, the, the understanding what tools you can use for most people might not be always good for certain groups. So, accessibility issues. There is a lot of work to do still. Okay, well. On a civic society level, what can be done to accommodate people with disability when it comes to, I mean, I know there are historical legacies of infrastructure deficits and uh, like in Tallinn, we have, of course, UNESCO heritage buildings, things like that. Uh, what can be done on a societal level to make uh, the city more accommodating for people with disabilities? Yeah. Well, um, I think that um, firstly, uh, accessibility is uh, recently, um, like or maybe about 10 years or so, uh, much more broader term. So that this uh, universal design or inclusive design of our environment and also our content, for instance, information, what you are providing on the internet, uh, or even uh, like uh, events, what you organize. Mm -hmm. Everywhere there should be taken into consideration who are the users, who are the attendees, are they all able to attend and join? Uh, that knowledge and understanding have become stronger. But of course, uh, the mostly important uh, goal is to secure that all newly created environment and pieces of information follow the rules. What we have in Estonia since really already 2002 for the built environment, but it has been um, made more precise and the process of making the rules more precise and more easy to follow is still going on by the Ministry of Economy and Communication. So um, follow the rules, that's one good thing to know. And also uh, try to make uh, solutions what can be replicated. That is another good thing to do. I know that, for instance, uh, the uh, buildings which are to use for everybody the public buildings are not that bad the, but the housing is a challenge yes. New, newly built housing is more or less but uh, 
in Tallinn or other bigger towns in Estonia, there is a lot of housing which is outdated and is not accessible. But there are even efforts to try to uh, make um, accessibility improvements to already existing housing because there are some uh, types of uh, housing complexes that you might have uh, many, many buildings which are the same design. But if you elaborate uh, for one building, you have a replica for all the other buildings of the same type. So I think that the courage to, um, to make a good example will be very valuable as other owners and other stakeholders can use the same example later. Mm, thanks. Uh, and I guess that's part of the complicated legacy of a lot of the Soviet uh, architecture that's left here. Um, the buildings weren't built to accommodate people with disabilities because people with disabilities weren't included in the community. Yeah, but, but also what is really tricky is that still today, for instance, if you are reading an article somewhere that a new, um, I don't know, shopping mall or a school or whatever interesting uh, uh, concert hall or whatever was uh, inaugurated, you will not be able to read about accessibility. That is not normal. It's not mainstream to write, uh, read or like for, an, uh, for a journalist to, to write that well, you can all come because this building is accessible. That should be a norm, actually. But maybe it uh, is, it is uh, not needed uh, in this respect that you should, uh, by default, say that all the newly created en environment is accessible, but it is not always. So I think that it's value added if uh, the, the public is understanding that we should be explaining it much more straightforward. And also even um, recently in the social media, the organizations uh, who are in our network and the individuals who are making the social media coverage, uh, they are often describing the photos. For instance, you are putting up a few photos about something, but the visually impaired might not be able to understand what you just show. Mm. So um, even also in the training uh, and the conference context that it's always good to explain what you are showing on the wall instead of just saying, look, here you can see this and that. Describe what there is. Uh, such uh, mm, tricks should become more, um, how to say, common to use. Okay, well, that brings us to our last question here, and we'll let you go with this one. Uh, how can we, as a society as a whole, so individuals, governments, everything in between, support people with disabilities, and why is that important? Yes, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> Perhaps more than that. Well, uh, I think that um, what I see where we are sort of doing mediocre, rather 
on the better side than the worst side is the support for the civil society. Uh, we have had uh, in Estonia a rather balanced way of uh, funding for civil society organizations, but it, in the event of uh, price rise and uh, and uh, increase of salaries and everything, what is happening during the last couple of years, this funding has to be considerably uh, increased. So that is pushing <clears throat> like the, the civil society, the, the people themselves who are joining together to change the society, we should not be able to work voluntarily for uh, years and years. They have to have a higher level of support from the society, as this is a helping hand for the state sector to, to do the change, to, to be able to, to have it uh, more accessible, more inclusive, that's one thing, and um, well, what else could be uh, helping the society to change? Storytelling and informing people how, uh, how the disability or chronic disease can impact one's lives. I think that there has been, become more information about it but um, we have to keep informing. That I think is crucial. Okay, uh, Melis, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll share a link to your organization in our episode description if anyone wants to find out more. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye, bye. <laughs>
But there was many, many weird things that came out, especially, for example, people with ADHD and anxiety that, you know, 10, 15 minutes in a big classroom, they get overwhelmed, they want to leave. But then lecturers are not happy to, or they don't want to give them a digital access to this uh, lecture material. They're not happy just for one person to say, OK, you can come online. So it's issues like this that I think should be brought out and kind of dealt with. Is there uh, an office in town university or people who are responsible for dealing with people with disabilities? Yes. So one aspect of this whole project was also to kind of increase awareness about the counseling center that we have. And then there is Maria Yogi So, if I'm saying that name right. And then, the yeah, and then she is in charge of uh, students with uh, uh, special needs. And she's the one kind of to operate everything. And she's been doing an amazing job, uh, especially compared to other universities in uh, Estonia. She's the one kind of taking the lead and making sure that, you know, she, the university is trying to provide the kind of capacity that's needed. But it seems that university is not so kind of coming back to it. Like they're not meeting her halfway as much as it would be nice. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, I, I took you off track there for a second. Did I go back to your events that you organized? Yeah, so we had the workshop, we got the survey, and then with the workshop, we kind of had some uh, teachers, some administrative personnel, students come together and kind of work on these uh, situations that I've outlined that I've put into groups. And then we were trying to f uh, use like this kind of design methods, innovative ways to find solutions. And we did come up with some things and I am at the, at the moment, I'm putting it together as a document to kind of send to the university to maybe if they take it seriously and make these changes. Okay, so can you give us an example of a recommendation you would make? So this is about ease of read. So perhaps for people that have learning disabilities, then within a context of lecture material, maybe creating a dictionary before the lecture or before the course starts. So all these words that they're going to be using throughout the course so they can just give it to people ahead. A nice little dictionary constantly just to go through it and then understand what the teacher is even talking about. Because a lot of times they'll just introduce new uh, words and new phrases and just kind of assume everyone knows what it means. How does this relate to disability, Paul? This, I mean, it's about invisible disabilities, cognitive disabilities, and you need to be inclusive for that as well in your course, right? You can't just assume that now that someone's in university, they're on the same level as everyone else. No, it's, some people still need a kind of different angle to approach the course material. So it's uh, quite relevant in that aspect. I know uh, often uh, an issue for people with sensory problems or many other different types of uh, invisible disability is uh, exam situations. Uh, did you uncover anything in this? Yes, to an extent. We had, uh, so one of our other events, we had this, uh, I think it's called discussion forum in, this, uh, in English. And we had some uh, past students who used to study in Tallinn University, and they gave us some examples of, you know, exam situations. And there was a moment where it was an exam that was prepared on paper, and they weren't ready to give this individual the opportunity to do it on, on a laptop. And it ended up with him having to actually hold a pen in his mouth and then try to check boxes on the exam, which I can Im imagine that's not the best situation to uh, for anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, maybe... You can tell me why the subject was important for you and your team. I think it was important for so many reasons. Uh, first of all, for me, I have I, I actually do research on cognitive disorders and how to increase benefits for them, especially through healthcare systems. 
but also for me if i look at my past experience studying abroad in like uk university they were so they put so much energy into first of all like disability they had disability awareness month so a whole month dedicated to this events programs and it was something so new for me and something i you know i really felt like i want to take part of as well because it just they just really brought it out and i think in estonia especially in town university i haven't really seen this big of a community vibe always so when i saw this life project opportunity i was like yes i, I want to be part of this i want to see if i can somehow contribute to it and in our group as well we have some people with uh, more uh, invisible disabilities and for them you could see that they were also so interested in working on it because it affects them and they were ready to take part of every event we did and even talk at some of these seminars and discussion forums. How do you think your project and the issues faced at the university fit into wider Estonian society? I think they're, I mean, they fit in well in that sense. Uh, it's very hard to, so some of the people we had on the discussion forum, right? Um, these are now full on adults. They're living their own life. They have even some of them, their own businesses. And the way they were talking about how what they're doing to improve the situation in Estonia is quite relevant to also what we are doing now in Tallinn University because in a sense this is a society on its own right the university so we're looking at a small scale society but then we can try to expand that into all of Estonia and I think that's definitely the case because I think people just don't take that perspective all the time if someone's able they just don't necessarily have the reason to take perspective of a disabled person and because of that I think so many s things they wouldn't see as obstacles are just overlooked and that was kind of the point of the workshop as well to even see what obstacles exist right because for me for example I wouldn't really always think of that stuff. Well do you think that the issues faced in the university are similar to people uh, issues disabled people face in wider Estonian society? Long term we uh, the seminars we have, we are doing, right? These are meant strictly for teachers and administrative personnel. And if we're looking at like research that's done everywhere in universities, it's always about the teachers and personnel who can kind of improve the situation for disabled students, because they're the ones that learn how to deal with it, how to give them this kind of ease of access to information or to places. So we've made it these seminars that are going to happen every semester to teach uh, the personnel about you know what's going on and how to deal with it better because the personnel really doesn't have a good perspective either because they're not coached they're not trained so that's what the main impact of our uh, project is going to be um so what kind of impact are you hoping that your project is going to have long term long term we uh, the seminars we have, we are doing, right? These are meant strictly for teachers and administrative personnel. And if we're looking at like research that's done everywhere in universities, it's always about the teachers and personnel who can kind of improve the situation for disabled students, because they're the ones that learn how to deal with it, how to give them this kind of ease of access to information or to places. So we've made it these seminars that are going to happen every semester to teach uh, the personnel about you know, what's going on and how to deal with it better because the personnel really doesn't have a good perspective either because they're not coached, they're not trained. So that's what the main impact of our uh, project is going to be. So what kind of support would be necessary for future disability awareness events? And how can 
uh, the general public help? I think one of the biggest things that could be done is just turning, showing up to events. Uh, I think one of the things we faced is that we did have people coming to the events, but it was still difficult to get people to show interest in coming to it, even though once you go there, you learn so much, you, you get so many new perspectives, but I think people just are, are completely unaware about what they can learn by just listening to people probably like special needs talking about what they kind of what they're experiencing in life it's just about listening and i think it would be amazing if in the future it would be kind of more efforts to promote these events and even make it a you know a yearly thing of having this kind of disability awareness week or month mm. and uh, making it a bigger thing something that really just people kind of look forward to i think like oh, okay march is going to be that month oh, okay um are the results of your project going to be made public? Uh, not yet. Right now, we are in the we're writing together the portfolio, and I think January fifth is going to be the when we kind of show everything and release everything. Okay, well, we look forward to hearing more for, about it. Paul Markswarf, thank you very much for joining the Town University podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, thank you for joining us on our third episode of Season 3. We'd like, especially like to thank our guests uh, for bringing our attention to this important issue. This season, we'd like to celebrate working with Estonian World Magazine, who share our passion for English language stories about Estonia's role in the world. You can check them out on Facebook or at www.estonianworld.com. As always, we've been brought to you by the Baltic Film, Media and Arts School, and the School of Governance, Law, and Society here at Tallinn University. We've got lots of great programs, including those in English, and you can check them all out at www.tlu.ee. Our producer is Avo Ulvik. Hello, Avo. And further research has, and development has been done by Jana Levitinia, Mal Kashmiri, Peter Nikonen, Cynthia Enemosha, Chongbin Lee, Nur Iliana, Eva Deachuk, Tang Ding Kang, and Katrin Helen Kasavandik. Our theme song is Ghosts of 68, performed by myself and Paul Simmons, and all other music is performed and written by myself and sometimes Avo. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at TLU Podcast, on what remains of Twitter at Talent Podcast, and we are now on TikTok. You can check us out there, too. We'll come back in two weeks, and we will see you then. Thanks for joining. <laughs>